Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. This is Cindy Perlin, and I'll be filling in for Nisi today while she's out of town. I'll be talking about overcoming chronic pain by tending to the mind, body, and spirit. And I'm going to be sharing what I've learned in my travels as a chronic pain survivor, as a healthcare provider who works with chronic pain patients. Um, I'm a, a licensed clinical social worker and biofeedback therapist. And um, what I've learned researching my recent book, The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments, The Best and Worst Strategies for Becoming Pain-Free. And I'm also uh, working on a new project. Uh, it's a alternative pain treatment directory online, and I'd love it if you checked it out. It's www.paintreatmentdirectory.com. It has providers and products and information that can help you find relief. So 100 million Americans are in chronic pain, and most of them are not getting the care that they need. Pain is a very complex problem, and it has many causes. There's no one-size-fits-all pain treatment. There's many, patient, there's many treatments that can help and even cure, and most are being ignored by conventional medicine. And by conventional medicine, I mean um, pharmaceutical treatments like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, opioids and steroids, surgical treatments and injections. So the problem with these treatments is that they don't get to the root cause. They have um, low effectiveness and high risk of side effects. So the opioids are drugs like oxycodone, hydrocodone, Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin, fentanyl, and morphine. And, you know, a lot has has been in the news about how addictive these drugs are. We have a drug crisis in the United States because these drugs are handed out like candy. Healthcare providers believe and patients generally believe that these are the most powerful treatments that we have for chronic pain, and they're actually not. They provide only a minimal reduction in pain, and they don't work for about 50% of the people who they're prescribed for. Uh, The average amount of relief from an opioid, uh, research suggests, is only about 39% pain relief. And the biggest problem is that they don't get at the cause of the pain. They don't change the underlying condition. There's no evidence of long-term effectiveness, and in fact, what studies exist indicate that pain patients who take opioids have worse outcomes than those who don't. They have more pain, lower quality of life, and are less likely to be employed than people with similar conditions um, who didn't take opioids. So... And as I said, there's a high incidence of addiction and overdose, and most patients who take them are in denial. They also contribute to fatal auto accidents, so they pose a risk of um, of harm to others. Uh, they decrease immune response. 
And um, a recent study showed that there's a 64% increase in all-cause mortality within six months of starting opioids. So even if you're not addicted to opioids, there are risks involved. Many patients can take them and not have addictive behaviors, but they're still posing other risks to the, to the patients who take them. So opioids um, have some impact on the body because they mimic substances that the body produces itself. The body produces its own opioids called endorphins. And you've probably heard of endorphins because it's, they're the body's feel-good hormone. They're the, the substance that the body makes when we exercise, when we get a runner's high, and you don't have to be running to get a runner's high. Um, but if you engage in vigorous exercise, your body makes more of these endorphins and you feel better. You feel um, euphoric. And the other way that your body can make its own opioids is laughing. When you laugh, your body makes endorphins and um, you can experience pain relief. So the problem with the opioids is that they occupy the receptors on the cells that endorphins would normally use, but they don't fit very well and they kind of clog up the the receptors and that's why you need more over time and why they have so many side effects. So if you're going to take a drug to to numb your pain, um, there's a better choice. And more and more people are finding this out. More and more people are turning to medical marijuana. Now, medical marijuana actually also works with the body's own cell receptors, but it's a different set of cell receptors that work with substances in the body called endocannabinoids. And these endocannabinoids are released by the body in response to stress, injury and pain and inflammation, and they're what gets our body to heal and go back into balance after a challenge. And marijuana is the only substance that we know of that makes the same compounds that the body naturally produces. And these compounds, called cannabinoids, actually fit our cell receptors much better than opioids do. And so they have fewer side effects. People don't experience withdrawal. They don't experience tolerance. And when people stop taking them, they, they, as I said, don't experience withdrawal. And, and they can even help people get off of opioids. Usually when people try to stop opioids, it's a very miserable experience. They go into withdrawal and that's what keeps them addicted because they don't one experience the horrible unpleasantness that comes with opioid withdrawal. And using medical marijuana can, can minimize that. Not everybody has access to medical marijuana, but there is hemp-derived cannabinoid CBD oils that can have similar effects and that are legal in every state in the United States. So you might want to check that out a little bit more. So another conventional treatment that doesn't work very well is surgical treatments. 
Now, most people don't know this, but in order for a surgical treatment to become, in general, use, it doesn't have to go through any kind of approval process. There's no FDA equivalent for surgical treatments. All that has to happen is the surgeon tries something, likes the effects on his particular patient or patients, and goes to conferences and tells other surgeons about it, and then they try it. And oftentimes, surgical treatments get out there without any evidence of safety or effectiveness, and it's only many years later that that it is discovered that the surgical treatments do more harm than good. In the case of of surgical treatments for pain, one of the most common ones is back surgery for so-called disc degeneration or abnormal discs. And a lot of this surgery is based on MRI results where someone's in pain and it becomes chronic and the doctor sends the patient for an MRI. And according to the MRI, there's problems with the disc. There's herniated discs, there's bulging discs, there's degenerated discs. And the doctor says, see, that's the cause of your problem. And if we have a surgical intervention to fix those discs, to remove them, uh, to replace them with um, artificial discs or whatever, you'll feel better. And the problem with this is that we've known since the 1990s, since MRIs went into widespread use, that almost everybody has discs that are so-called abnormal. As you get older, it's more and more likely that you'll have degenerated or bulging or herniated discs. And many people have these problems, and they don't have any pain. So for many people, it may just be coincidental that they have pain and they have so-called disc disease. And when a surgical intervention is is uh, used for this problem that's not the real problem, people often end up worse off than they were before. There's actually a medical diagnosis called failed back surgery syndrome where the pain persists after surgery, and it's as high as 46% for lumbar fusion surgery. And oftentimes when that happens, the recommendation is more surgery, but the reality is that subsequent surgeries have even worse outcomes because they're not getting at the underlying problem, and they're often causing more problems. When you, when you operate on the spine, you could create surgical instability or misalignment. You can earn, injure nerve roots. You can create scar tissue. You can get wound infections. And all of these complications, which are fairly common, can leave you worse off than you were before. And as I said, it's often not the cause of the underlying problem. Another thing that's, that research has shown that's often ignored by surgeons is that studies have shown a high correlation between unsuccessful spinal surgery and a history of childhood trauma. The more childhood trauma you've had, the more kinds you've had, the more severe, the less likely it is that surgery will be successful. So I'm talking about sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, living with an alcoholic parent or in a domestic violence situation. And the more of those you have, the less likely you are to benefit from surgery. 
to the extent that if you have all five, you have a 0% chance of having a beneficial outcome from surgery. So I'll be talking a little bit later about why that's true. So that leads me into the, the types of treatments that are more likely to be helpful in chronic pain. Um, one of them is what I call body-based therapies. And you've heard of most of these. Um, I'm talking about things like physical therapy and chiropractic and massage. And these are therapies that have been well-studied and where the documentation of their effectiveness is well-established. But what's happened in the last few decades is that the access to this therapy has gone down while the incidence of chronic pain has gone up. One of the things that's happened is when opioids were introduced on the market, the insurance companies decided that that was a cheap way of dealing with pain, and they put a lot of restrictions on what they would, were already paying for, such as physical therapy and chiropractic. And as evidence grew for these and other therapies, such as massage and acupuncture, they refused to add new treatments um, to the to the covered services that they offered. And they made it much more difficult for people to get adequate amounts of physical therapy, adequate amounts of chiropractic. They required pre-authorization and treatment reviews and, and limit the number of sessions that people can have. And the other thing that they've done is that they've reduced the fees that they pay to these kinds of practitioners when they do pay physical therapists, chiropractors, and, and psychotherapists, which are also effective uh, therapists for chronic pain, have not had a raise from insurance companies in over 40 years. And that's required people who stay in the business to give lower quality of care because they're rushed, they're stressed, and fewer um, people are entering the field and more people are aging out. So these effective therapies are becoming less accessible to the people who need them. And that is a major problem. Another thing that you can do on your own that you don't need insurance to pay for is exercise. Exercise is critical for pain relief because most pain is muscle generated according to studies. Studies show that about 90% of pain is actually from muscles and not nerves. And it's because muscles become out of balance because of injury or poor postural habits. They become stiff. They lose flexibility. And, um, and they become injured with, um, and develop trigger points that can generate pain when people are inactive or overactive or stressed. So exercise keeps your muscles in good shape. Even when you have joint disease, the stress on the joints is greater if your muscles are not in good shape, if they're not balanced and strong. So even walking can be effective for um, pain relief and staying in bed 
which used to be a conventional medicine recommendation, is now out of favor for people in chronic pain because the research is incontrovertible that if you move, you feel better. One of the things that helped me, I was in um, chronic pain for over three and a half years with a back injury, and one of the things that really helped me was the class I went to called The Wise Way to a Healthy Back that all the wise in the United States used to offer. And it helped me regain flexibility and strength. It was a gradual supervised program. And it doesn't exist anymore, but if you can find a program like that or a good yoga class or an aquatics um, class where exercise is done in the water, those can be very, very helpful in terms of relieving pain. So... Evidence for massage has grown as an effective therapy, and unfortunately, as I said earlier, it's one of those things that insurance companies usually refuse to pay for. If your injury and pain is the result of an auto accident or work-related accident, sometimes workers' compensation or auto insurance coverage does pay for massage. And there are different kinds of massage, uh, their sweetest massage, which is actually just a very superficial massage, that is not as effective as more intensive massage where they really get deep into the muscles and work to um, release muscle tension and contraction. And the evidence shows that a, a series of massages over a period of weeks, for instance, 10 massages over a course of 10 weeks, not only provides temporary relief, but can provide really long-lasting relief for chronic pain. So those are the body-based therapies, and they're one part of what can be a comprehensive, um, a comprehensive program to get yourself out of pain and into better shape. Another um, intervention that people don't realize is very powerful is nutrition. And this is the one that took me the longest time to understand. But, you know, our bodies are always doing repair and maintenance. Cells are dying out or getting injured, and the body is creating new cells and new tissues. And the only thing it has to work with is what we give it in the form of nutrition. Nutrition is critical to healthy cells which make up your tissues and which make up your organs. And the diets that people eat these days tend to be very deficient in, in nutritional components that we need for optimum health, including optimal pain relief. So one nutrient that is almost always deficient in chronic pain patients and contributes to their pain is vitamin D. Vitamin D is mostly um, made by our skin when we're out in the sun, and it can also be taken, um, it's also included in some foods like dairy products and, and the bones of sardines and, and some, other, um, some other foods. But the best way to get vitamin D is to be out in the sun. And most people are afraid of the sun because they've been told that it can cause skin cancer, but 
limited exposure to sun, and what I mean by limited varies depending on your age, um, whether you live in a sub, near near the equator or further from the equator, um, what your skin tone is. Darker skin people have more difficult time absorbing vitamin D from the sun. Uh, but we need skin exposure without sunscreen for our bodies to get adequate vitamin D. And most of us don't get that. And most of us live in climates where it's not possible to get skin exposure and and sun exposure um, most of the year. So vitamin D can be taken as supplements. And you you can actually get a very simple blood test ordered by your doctor generally covered by insurance, that can tell you if you're deficient in vitamin D. And if you are, supplementing it can be very beneficial in terms of pain relief. Another nutrient that's often deficient is magnesium. Magnesium is something that plants absorb from the soil, and most of the food that we eat is grown in soil that's been depleted of essential nutrients like magnesium. And most people are deficient in magnesium for that reason and can benefit from magnesium supplements. The only problem with magnesium supplements is that if you take a lot of them, they can cause diarrhea. And there is a way around that, um, and that's to um, get vitamin, get magnesium through absorption of some kind. One of the most inexpensive ways to do that is to take a, a hot Epsom salt bath, and Epsom salts contain magnesium, and if you soak in an Epsom salt bath, your body will absorb a lot of magnesium through your skin, and magnesium um, in Epsom salt baths feels really good. There's also topical applications that you can get with magnesium in them. There's magnesium oils and magnesium lotions that you can find online, and and you can apply them topically to get local pain relief. So that's another thing that can help you. Another uh, nutrient that's very deficient in people with chronic pain and in most Americans is omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3 fatty acids are an essential ingredient in your cells and especially in your brain cells. And most of us are deficient in them. The best source of them is fatty fish like salmon. Um, but if you're not eating a lot of fish and you want to eat wild fish because farm fish doesn't have as much omega-3 fatty acids, you can also take it as supplements. And that is a good anti-inflammatory that um, for many people works as well as the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So... Having a good diet is also good in terms of the phytonutrients. If you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, that is also anti-inflammatory as opposed to eating a lot of processed foods, white flour, um, red meat. So changing your diet can make a tremendous difference in your pain levels. And the reason that we don't know this, that most people don't know this, is that it is a crime for people who grow food or distribute food to make health claims for food. 
you can't say that broccoli reduces inflammation or prevents cancer or vitamin D will reduce pain if you are a seller or producer. Even if the claim is true, it's a felony and you can go to jail. I recently discovered a food product, a supplement that's taken in shakes that has vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients and proteins. And I've heard amazing stories from people in pain about how useful this supplement was for them. Yet the company that makes it refuses to allow any of their distributors to make any claims to the product or even include testimonials that name the product because they're afraid that the FDA will shut them down. And that has happened to companies that have done that. On the other hand, pharmaceutical companies who made false claims about their products that they weren't addictive and millions of people have gotten addicted and hundreds of thousands of people have died as a result of that activity, those companies are still in business. So you've got to do your own research and figure it out for yourself. That's really important. So it's really important not just to eat the good stuff, but it's also important to stay away from the bad stuff. And some of the bad stuff, for some people, bad stuff includes gluten, which is found in wheat and a lot of other grains. I have met people who stopped eating gluten who had really bad rheumatoid arthritis, and it went away when they stopped eating gluten. Another thing to watch out for is aspartame. Aspartame is also called NutraSweet. It's found in tons of products. And for many people, it causes fibromyalgia-like symptoms, MS symptoms, and when they stop it, they feel better. And they're no longer diagnosable with fibromyalgia or MS. Um, Aspartame is actually a neurotoxin, and some people have a stronger reaction to it than others. And it's always good to avoid processed and artificial ingredients because their body really doesn't know what to do with these things. So another option is herbal treatments. There are many herbs that are actually more effective than pharmaceuticals and they're safer. Besides marijuana, which can be called an herb, there are some other herbs that have been um, discovered recently that can be very effective in terms of chronic pain. One of them, which I've only recently learned about, is kratom. And kratom is an herb that grows in Southeast Asia. And many people find that it is as effective a pain reliever as their opioids. It also, like marijuana, helps people get off their opioids. It helps with withdrawal symptoms. Like marijuana, it reduces anxiety and helps with sleep and appears to have many other beneficial effects. So that is um, something that is widely available if you are knowledgeable enough to look for it. There's different strains of kratom, just like there are for marijuana. Some are more relaxing, some are more stimulating, and uh, it appears to be a very safe and effective alternative um, to take instead of opioids. And another one is uh, called wild lettuce. And wild lettuce may be growing in your backyard. Um, it's a common weed. It grows in most parts of the world, in Europe and Asia and North America and Africa. 
And it also has opioid-like effects without the negative um, effects of opioids, without addiction and without immune suppression. Um, these herbs tend to be immune stimulants, and um, you don't develop tolerance to them, and they're very safe. Uh, more conventional herbs um, that are more widely known include turmeric, which is um, it's what makes curry powders red, and it's a very common ingredient in Indian foods. You can get it in supplements. That's also a very natural anti-inflammatory, um, as is ginger. So there's a lot of things out there that are safe that you can find, that you can ingest, that can really improve your nutritional status and um, and relieve your pain. Um, on another front, uh, another little-known therapy that's very useful, chronic pain, is called low-level laser therapy. And most people have heard of lasers and their use in surgeries. High-intensity lasers, which have to do with light that is very high on the frequency spectrum, can cut tissue and is commonly used in surgery. But if you go to the lower end of the light spectrum, to the red or near-infrared light, that has been discovered to have tissue healing effects. What you do is you use these special devices to shine light on the skin in a painful area. And what it does is it reduces inflammation and it speeds tissue healing. And it does this by changing the permeability of the cells so that more cellular energy can get in, more nutrition and oxygen can get in, and more toxins can be released from the cell. And it's been found to be useful for wound healing, for chronic neck and back pain, for neuropathy. Um, it's even been shown to reduce macular degeneration or reverse macular degeneration. Is a truly amazing therapy that's non-invasive, and um, actually works fairly quickly. Uh, the more acute your problem is, the quicker it works. The more chronic, it takes a little longer. But I've personally um, had amazing results with it. I was so impressed when I was researching it that I went out and I bought my own device, which is not something most people do because they're very expensive, but I was so impressed I financed it. And it healed uh, an inflammatory problem that I had on my foot. It helped my cat with her osteoarthritis. There are um, over 400 human randomized controlled studies that show that this therapy works. And like most alternative therapies, even when the evidence mounts, insurance companies say it's still experimental and they don't cover it. But it's well worth checking out if you're able because it's a truly amazing therapy. So other therapies work on an energy level. Um, in the realm of energy therapies are acupuncture, energy healing like Reiki, therapeutic touch, and other hands-on um, therapies, and also homeopathy. So acupuncture is a therapy that goes back thousands of years it's very um, common in China and Japan and other Asian countries. And it's been used for pain relief for thousands of years. 
And in recent years, it's become better known in the United States. It first became known in the Western world when President Richard Nixon went to China to open relations with them. And a New York Times reporter that accompanied him on the trip had appendicitis and had to have emergency surgery while he was in China. And instead of using opioids for pain, he was treated with acupuncture post-surgically. And when he came home to the United States, he wrote about it for the New York Times. And that generated interest in acupuncture. And interest has been growing in recent years. Thousands of years of effectiveness in, in, in general use in countries with, um, with billions of people were not enough for the Western world, and acupuncture was widely dismissed for a long time. But more recently, studies have shown that, that acupuncture really works. And, and acupuncture is generally, in clinical use, individualized to the patient, depending on the presentation of the problem. Many studies have used standardized protocols, and those protocols don't tend to work as well as um, protocols that are individualized. So studies um, have been a little bit mixed, but more recent studies have shown that when you individualize treatment, you get better results, and you get very good results with acupuncture. There was a recent study on fibromyalgia which, as anyone who has it knows, is a very treatment-resistant condition. And what the study showed is when people with fibromyalgia get about 10 sessions of individualized protocols for fibromyalgia, that even six months later, they feel significantly better. So definitely a therapy worth checking out. Energy healing has had a very difficult time being accepted in Western medicine. Um, and I like to tell the story of a nine-year-old whose parents were uh, very anti-therapeutic uh, touch, which is a energy therapy that's used by a lot of nurses now. And her parents were founded an organization that opposed therapeutic touch. And as a nine-year-old, she did a, a study for a science fair in which she supposedly disproved the effectiveness or the, the reality of energy healing. And her study was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. She was on TV. She was on the Today Show talking about her study. She got all kinds of attention. On the other hand, there was a well-established researcher who had dozens of scientific peer-reviewed studies um, to her name, and she was approached by people who wanted to research therapeutic touch to do a study, and it was um, what's called an in vitro study where it's actually done in a test tube, and what the energy healers did was they they you know, use their hands on cells in a, in a test tube over a period of time. And they found that the cells did um, gener generate more healing activity compared to the ones that weren't treated. And that, that researcher could not get her, um, her research published, even though she was a respected researcher in her own field. 
until she shamed one of her journals that she'd been previously published in to publish a study. And after that, all of her colleagues ignored her um, and ostracized her. So, you know, that just shows the bias against energy healing, but it does have some research behind it, and it is worth trying. Another therapy that is poo-pooed by conventional medicine is homeopathy. Homeopathy has been around for about 150 years. It was developed in Germany, and it's still very popular in Europe. At the time that it was developed, so-called conventional medicine used things like mercury and leeches and um, acids to treat common physical complaints and often left their patients in very bad shape. And homeopathy was very gentle medicine in comparison. The, the, um, the theory behind it is that like cures like. And the idea is that the symptoms that we have are a body's attempt to heal. And if you give that, those symptoms a very gentle boost by using very, very, very diluted substances that if given full strength would cause the symptoms that you have, that your body will heal. And homeopathy has a really vibrant history. Um, one of the most impressive things I've ever read about it is that after World War I, when the, the flu epidemic that was prevalent at the time killed over 25 million people worldwide, people who were treated with homeopathy very, very rarely died. So the thing about homeopathy that defies conventional explanation is that the dilutions are, are so strong or diluted that according to conventional wisdom, there's nothing left of the substance in the solution. But recent studies have found that there's still nanoparticles of the substances in the water and that the energy of the substance is still available. And research on homeopathy is growing um, in the United States. Interest in it is growing. In Europe, pharmaceutical com company backlash against homeopathy has been growing, where homeopathy has been very popular for many years. And again, a very, a very gentle therapy that is well worth looking into if you're in chronic pain. So... Next, we're into my favorite topic in terms of how to heal chronic pain, and that's the role of the mind and the spirit in, in healing. And that is one of the most commonly ignored, but one of the most powerful forces in healing. And conventional medicine does acknowledge this to some extent in that they, they acknowledge something called the placebo effect. And the placebo effect is if you're told that some substance you're being given or some intervention that you're receiving is going to make you feel better, it will. And the placebo effect is pretty strong. About 60% of the people on average who receive a placebo get better, even though they received a sugar pill or um, they didn't get a real surgery, they just got an incision. So... In any study that attempts to determine the effectiveness of a pharmaceutical, 
they have to have what's called a placebo control group that's given a placebo. And it's only when the pharmaceutical does better than the placebo that it's considered effective. So that is one mind-body effect that cannot be ignored. Another um, issue that's very important when you're talking about the mind is that when a person experiences emotional stress, there's a lot of physiological changes in the body that if they're chronic can cause can cause chronic pain. So the way that we're wired is that when the mind believes that the body's in danger, it does something called prepare for fight or flight. And when we do that, there are all kinds of changes that happen in the body. There's increased muscle tension, heart rate, respiration rate, blood pressure, and over time there's increased inflammation. At the same time, there's decreased immune response, digestion, blood flow to the extremities, and healing and maintenance. And the reason for this is that when the body believes that you're in imminent danger of death or maiming, it it puts all of your energy into things that will save you from death or injury and ignores things that can be put on hold. So it ups the things that will help you fight or flee, and it decreases things like immune response and digestion that that can be put on hold because they're not necessary in the moment. I like to say that if we're being chased by a tiger and we stop to digest, we get digested. So this is a natural response that's hardwired into the body. And the trouble is that these days, the things that we are fearful of are not imminent danger to life or limb. They're financial worries, difficulties with relationships, um, worry about our health. So when we do that, our body goes into the spider-flight response. And if we do it frequently or if we do it all day long, our body stays in this fight-or-flight response, and the kinds of changes that happen physiologically cause pain and other chronic illnesses. One of the um, worst situations in terms of chronic fight-or-flight is what's called child uh, chronic childhood trauma. When we grow up in a home where we don't feel safe, and I mentioned a little bit about this when I talked about surgery and whether it would be successful. When we grow up being physically or emotionally abused, sexually abused, in dangerous situations where there's domestic violence or alcoholism, we grow up believing that the that our world is not safe and we grow up with unprocessed trauma. And there was a study many years ago called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study and what that study, which which looked at a huge number of people, what they found was that the more kinds of childhood trauma someone had, the more they were likely to be in chronic pain or to have chronic illness. So it's very important, particularly if you're in this situation, if you're a a childhood trauma survivor, or if you have a lot of stress in your life. And a lot of stress in your life can also be caused by being in chronic pain. It's very critical to learn how to reduce stress. 
And there are many ways to do that. There's relaxation, and relaxation is not vegging out in front of the TV. Relaxation is clearing your mind of worries and stimulation and either putting something positive into your mind or um, putting something neutral into your mind and staying in that place. And when, you're, when your mind does that, the body naturally returns to a state of better balance and relaxation. So one common technique is meditation where you focus on one thing for a period of time, like a calming phrase or a neutral phrase. Um, or you can do visualization where you um, think about something pleasant or you think about your body healing, and um, that seems to be very helpful. The guided visualization where you think about healing um, your body also directs your body's attention to that particular situation. And just like uh, being in fight or flight, your body's energy is directed in a certain way. When you guide your mind to healing something that needs healing, your body puts its attention and energy there, and that tends to facilitate healing. My favorite kind of mind-body intervention um, is biofeedback. And what biofeedback does is it measures some aspect of your physiology. That can be muscle tension. It could be blood flow to the extremities, which, as I mentioned, is reduced when you're stressed. It can be um, respiration rate. It can be brainwave activity. All these things are altered when we're in the stress response. And when we measure it, and then we try relaxation techniques. Biofeedback tells us how well we're succeeding by giving us information about changes in those measures. And it helps us to learn. So without biofeedback, oftentimes people practice some kind of relaxation technique. And they're not sensitive to, enough to know whether it's having an effect or not. And often they give up. They lose motivation because it seems like a waste of time. But when you start measuring things, what you find is that even if you're not really good at it yet and getting good at it like anything takes practice, you can see that you're getting better at it. And that really, really helps. I like to talk about my one session um, high blood pressure cure. I had a woman come in and she was also a psychotherapist and she had high blood pressure. And she told me that she had practiced transcendental meditation many years ago, but she just stopped. She didn't think it was worth her while. So I uh, connected her to biofeedback, and I asked her to do her meditation while we measured changes in her blood pressure. And it turned out that when she did meditation, her blood pressure went down. So at the end of the session, I asked her about scheduling another session, and she said, well, I don't know my schedule. I'll have to get back to you. Well, I didn't hear back from her, and six months later, I ran into her at a social work conference, and I asked her how her blood pressure was. And she said, oh, it's fine. After I saw you, I went back to meditation, and it's fine. So all she needed was the information that it was having a positive effect. And when she knew that, it motivated her, and she started to use it for beneficial results. And the same thing can happen with chronic pain. So... Um, I encourage you to look for biofeedback therapists. Uh, there's some organizations online, um, and you can find them there. 
um, aapb.org is one place. bcia.org is another um, where you can find practitioners and, and get some help that way. Cognitive behavioral therapy is more widely available and also frequently um, used for chronic pain and well-documented as an intervention that works. And what cognitive behavioral therapy is, is that it teaches you how to be more aware of your thinking, how your thinking is affecting your emotions and your stress level, and how to change those thoughts so that you feel calmer and you can get healthier. And one cognitive behavioral therapy technique that I like to use is something called positive affirmations. And that's where you replace your worry thoughts with an alternative positive thought. One of my favorite affirmations that covers pretty much everything, and I like to say at some point every day, is every day and every way I get better and better. So I encourage you to try that. Every day and every way I get better and better. It's the opposite of most of, of what most of us think when, our, when we're ill. And this one promotes calmness and healing, unlike our worried thoughts. So I'm going to leave you with that. Um, I want to tell you about some resources. Um, my book that I've written, The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments, The Best and Worst Strategies for Becoming Pain-Free, is available on Amazon, and it has a lot more information about the things that I've been talking about today, and I hope you'll check it out. Um, again, the, the truth about chronic pain treatments, the best and worst strategies for becoming pain-free, and um, it's also available from bookstores um, and, and other online sources. And the other thing I strongly urge you to check out is my new directory um, online, and that's perfectly free for patients to use. It's an alternative pain treatment directory, and the website is www.paintreatmentdirectory.com. And on that directory, which is only about a month old, and I'm adding new content every day, you will find articles that are informative. You will find inspirational stories. Um, you will find providers that can be helpful. Some of the providers uh, offer phone or web-based services, so you can access them for, from anywhere. And a lot of them offer um, information and treatment uh, on a, in a lot of the areas that I just talked about. Um, there are also some free things on the, on the site. For instance, there's a website that is listed that offers mindfulness-based stress reduction courses. If you, if you, um, do those courses in person, they can cost hundreds of dollars, and the person who put this course online is very aware that most people in chronic pain don't have a lot of resources and sometimes it's hard to leave your house. But this is an excellent resource and you can find it on my directory. The directory also lists free chronic pain groups, support groups that you can go to in your community, um, including fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia uh, support. 
So that website, again, is www.paintreatmentdirectory.com, and um, I hope you'll check it out. I'm in upstate New York, in the Albany, New York area, so if any of you are available um, or live in that area, um, you can come see me. I have a private practice outside of Albany, and my practice website is www.peakmindbody.com, and um, you can reach me through that website. And another thing that I offer through my directory is a phone consult where I can review with you um, what your um, situation is in terms of your pain history, in terms of your treatment history, in terms of... um, what your resources are financially and otherwise, your geographic location. And I can provide guidance on what the most promising strategies might be uh, for you to do next. So I encourage you to contact me either through www.paintreatmentdirectory.com or through my practice website, www.peakmindbody.com. And I really uh, believe that there's always hope. So I just want to share one very inspirational story, and this is in the spiritual healing realm, which I didn't really get into, but that can also be very powerful. Um, I read a story many years ago about a man named Leo Perez, and, and Leo was hit by a truck when he was 18 years old, and it damaged his back. And over the years, he had many back surgeries that left him worse off. And then he had an interventional procedure to determine what the problem was, and that intervention left him paralyzed. And after 20 years in a wheelchair and chronic pain for which he was on lots of narcotics, he was convinced by his family and friends to go see a faith healer named Father Diorio, who was a Catholic priest, who was visiting his area. And he didn't want to go. He didn't believe in it. He only went very reluctantly. And Father Diorio prayed over him for a few minutes and then told him to stand up and walk. And he got out of that wheelchair And he stood and he walked for the first time in 20 years. And he never had pain again. He never experienced withdrawal from his narcotics. And um, his story was very well documented by the media at the time. So, you know, anything can happen. There's always hope. I'm not saying everybody will be healed by any one of these techniques. Sometimes it takes a lot of different things combined because um, there are many things that impact on and cause you pain. But there's always hope, and I hope you'll remember that. I hope you'll stay tuned into the pain-free zone. Nisi Edwards will be back next week, and um, I'm sure with some remarkable guests. So thank you for listening, and and have a great day. Thank you.